You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. I'm going to talk about the NFL playoffs yet again. I'm going to break down all 14 teams. Some I'm going to spend a little bit more time on than others, but kind of give pros and cons for, for each team. I'm going to update uh, the statistics I've been giving you about coaches and winning championships because there's an add-on to it. I left one coach out, and I'm taking it to other sports to show you how relevant the statistic is. And then at the end, there isn't a hell of a lot to say about that college football national championship last night. I mean, I'll touch on it a little bit, but not a whole hell of a lot to say. And we'll get to that momentarily. So I first want to get to the statistic that I told you yesterday in regards to no NFL coach has ever won a Super Bowl with two different teams. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper on that. There are six NFL coaches who have gotten to a Super Bowl with two different teams. Two of those six won it with their first team and had a chance to break that record or be the only coach to ever do it. Do you know who those two are? They are Mike Holmgren and Bill Parcells. Mike Holmgren won a title with the Green Bay Packers and then got to the Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks and lost to the Steelers. Bill Parcells got two Super Bowl championships with the New York Giants and then got to the Super Bowl with the Patriots after that and lost to the Packers. Four other coaches have been to a Super Bowl with two total teams, two different teams. Andy Reid went there with the uh, Eagles and the Chiefs. Dan Reeves has been there with the Broncos and the Falcons. Don Shula went there with the Colts and the Dolphins. And Dick Vermeil went there with the Eagles and the Rams. Now, Reed won it on his second term. Reeves never won it. Shula won it on his second team. And Vermeil won it on his second team. So, while no NFL coach has ever won a Super Bowl with two different teams, two of them had a chance to do it. Mike Holmgren and Bill Parcells. Yesterday, when I said there's only one coach in this year's playoffs that has a chance to do that, and that's Mike McCarthy because he won it with the Packers. He could technically win it with the Cowboys. There is a second coach, totally blanked. Thank you to the Philly fans, I'm assuming, that reached out to me. Doug Peterson. I don't think many people would think Jacksonville is going to win the Super Bowl this year, but he is the other coach in this year's playoffs that has a chance to win a Super Bowl with a second team. He won it with the Eagles, and now he has a chance to win it with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I wanted to get that out there. The other stat that I threw out at you, which this is the one I find fascinating, is that since 1980, I said in the NFL – um, only two coaches have won a Super Bowl outside of the first five years they were with that team. Bill Cowher won it in his 13th season with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Andy Reid won it in his seventh season with the Kansas City Chiefs. Every other Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl winning coach since 1980, when they won the Super Bowl, they were within their first five years with that team, which kind of goes to show, hey, Maybe you kind of lose your message after a while with the same team. It's just very rare that a coach sticks around and finally wins a Super Bowl after you know all these years. Andy Reid in his seventh, Bill Cowher in his 13th. And you might say, okay, I mean, an interesting stat, but does it apply to other sports? Yes. And it goes to show, you take the big three sports, 
You can go to the NBA. It's only happened three times since 1980 in the NBA. And two of those three were in the sixth year. So right after that window of year five. And that was Billy Cunningham with the Sixers and Chuck Daly with the Pistons. They both won their first title with those teams in year six. Pat Riley won it in year nine with the Miami Heat. But yet, only three times in forty the last 43 years has the winning coach of an NBA champion won it outside of year five that he was there. Major League Baseball, let's go to that sport. It's happened once, once in 43 years. Tony La Russa won it in year 11 with the Cardinals. Every other Major League Baseball World Series winning manager won his title within the first five years of being a manager of that team. I don't know. I'd say, so now you're looking at 43 years times three, so 129 seasons of sports and six times in the major three sports, six times since 1980 and 129 seasons has the team that won it all, the coach or manager of that team, won it outside of their fifth year. I'd say that's a pretty big stat, and that's saying a lot. A lot, a lot. To where it makes a little more sense now as to why certain franchises and why a lot of organizations have turnovers with their coach. Maybe they're well aware of the stat, maybe they're not, but it certainly seems like if you don't win it early, you're not winning it. I mean, that's an amazing stat. One time in 43 years in baseball, the winning manager won it outside of his fifth year. That's that's crazy. And I didn't look, like I said, before 1980, because before 1980, baseball wasn't the big business that it was now. Neither was the NBA or the NFL, but managers stuck around forever, you know, in the 50s through the 80s. Like, I, I'm not, I mean, that's why I'm only going back to the 50s or to 1980 with that stat. Because I wanted to do it for all three. But yeah, only six total. Three times in the NBA, once in Major League Baseball, twice in the NFL. So yeah, but as I said yesterday, this season, two of the favorites in to win this thing, if not two of the favorites that people think are going to meet in the Super Bowl, the San Francisco 49ers and the Buffalo Bills, they could put an end to, or they can add on and be only the third coach since 1980 because Sean McDermott and Kyle Shanahan are both in year six uh, for their respective teams, the Bills and the Niners. So we could have it happen this year. We'll see. Obviously, we don't know. Like I said, the playoffs have started. Flip a coin. (laughs) I I, I mean, look, I, I think a lot of you out there are probably thinking along the same lines of the two seven matchups in both the NFC and the AFC are probably not going to be upsets, right? I mean, yes, Seattle is a division foe of the San Francisco 49ers, but the Niners beat them 27-7 and 21-13 this year. The Niners are coming in on a 10-game winning streak. They're playing at home. The Seattle Seahawks can't defend the run, and that's all San Francisco does. And when they have to throw, they've got plenty of weapons for Brock Purdy, who is 6-0 since he took over as the starter. Yeah, I don't see an upset happening in that game. The other 2-7 matchup in the AFC is the first game on Saturday. As we know, Dolphins-Bills, again, divisional matchup. They see this team twice a year. They split with them this year. But Tua was also playing in those games. The first game was the one where he got the concussion, and they left him in. 
or he came back after like one series. We all remember that. But is Skylar Thompson going to go on the road and beat the Buffalo Bills in his second career start or third career start, whatever it is? Probably not, you know? So, yeah, I, my leans are certainly towards the Bills and the Niners, and I don't think that's, you know, a major prediction considering they're both double-digit favorites to win the game. Um, so, yeah. Now, get to game two on Saturday night. Chargers-Jaguars. Jaguars beat them 38-10 earlier this year in L.A., but I believe that was game two of the season. So both teams are completely different since then. Chargers finished one game better than them in the record, 10-7 and seven versus 9-8. and eight. You know, the Chargers are up and down. Uh, you know, they beat – the thing with the Chargers is they play really well against the teams, almost the upper echelon teams. They always play the Chiefs well, you know, and they play well against good teams, and they usually play down to the level of their competition. And I'm not saying it's a, a giant step down to play the Jaguars, but you're going on the road. Not many of these Charger players have been in the playoffs. This is Justin Herbert's first playoff game, just like it is for Trevor Lawrence. But to say I've got one strong lean one way or another on this game and I know who's going to win this game, no, I don't. You tell me Jaguars win the game, like, yeah, I could see that. You tell me Chargers going to win the game, yeah, I could see that. But that one's a tough call. Giants-Vikings, um, Giants are the public team this week. Everyone thinks the Giants are going to win because of what we've talked about the last two weeks with Minnesota, just an absolute fraud of a team. Uh, 11 of their 13 wins were by one score. Um, for, the course of the, for the course of the season, a 13-4 you know, team that had a minus three point differential on the season, which is just absolutely unheard of in the NFL, uh, nine games over 500, yet you got outscored by three on the season. That is, um, it's, it's incomprehensible. It'll probably never happen again in the history of the league. So that's why nobody believes in Minnesota, but they're still playing at home. They did beat the giants two weeks ago. I told you yesterday, I love the giants. Now that I'm seeing all the sentiment that everybody's on the giants, like everybody thinks this is going to be the one game where the at least one of the games where the road team wins because very rarely do you just get the home teams sweep all six games. I, I it's probably not going to happen, but predicting which one is not easy. If we could, we'd be millionaires. I don't know where I stand on this game. Again, like I, I know you're like just what's your prediction, Steve? I it, it's kind of pointless to tell you. Like I you know I like the Giants, but. Again, this is a team that has most of these guys on this Giants team. It's the first time in the playoffs. Brand new head coach. Minnesota is at home. Kirk Cousins, while he has been shaky in the playoffs in his past, has won games in the playoffs before. They are at home. They have the best player on the field in Justin Jefferson. Yes, they played them close two weeks ago. So do I think the Giants can keep it close? Absolutely. But to tell you I know what's going to happen when we get to the fourth quarter of this game, no clue. ravens Bengals Sunday night, I gave you my thoughts. I think the Ravens are in trouble because, number one, I think Cincinnati is the third best team in all of football behind Kansas City and Buffalo. And they're playing at home. And they've got a loaded offense with T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, and Joe Burrow. I just think they've got so many weapons. And Baltimore basically wins games 16-13. And 
I just if Cincinnati can get to twenty points on Sunday, I think they win the game, regardless of if Lamar plays or not. And as I said yesterday, Lamar Jackson hadn't stepped on a practice field in five weeks. Even if he practiced every day this week, how healthy is he actually going to be stepping onto the field Sunday night in Cincinnati? I just don't see it. I know they played last week and it's tough to beat a team two weeks in a row, but I think the Bengals can do it. I just think they're a better team all season. Baltimore has just kind of gotten by and they've never been dominant in anything all season. And I just think Cincinnati's a better team. They're at home. I'll take them. Uh, I do. I do lean towards them. I, I, I would be really surprised if the, if the Ravens won that game. And then of course you have the Monday night game with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers and <laughs> another one where it's like, okay, I, if you tell me right now, the Bucks won, I'd be like, okay, I could see that. And if you told me the Cowboys win, yeah, I could see that. I mean, Tom Brady, 7-0 and against the Cowboys in his career. He's never lost. But you take that stat and go dig a little bit deeper, I'm guessing every Brady team, the seven times he beat the Cowboys, his team was better than the Cowboys. They're coming into this game 8-9 and versus a 12-5 and Cowboy team, which while they are 12-5, and they finished 2-2. Two and two. Their cornerbacks are a mess right now. Their offense, Dak isn't coming on, coming into the playoffs very hot. He's thrown an interception, seven straight games. He's thrown a pick six in three of his last four. Tampa Bay has the better quarterback. Dallas has the better running offense. Tampa Bay probably has the better defense, and they're playing at home. So if you tell me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win this game, I can't tell you, oh, no way. They can't beat the Cowboys. And if you tell me the Cowboys, you know, win this game, I'm not going to be like, no way, they can't beat the Tampa Bay Bucks on the road. Of course they can. Will they is a different thing. You know, the Cowboys have not won a road playoff game in 30 years since 1992. And I really do think that they are coming in not playing their best ball, but Tampa hasn't played their best ball all year. <laughs> they're 8-9. I mean, they're they're just an average football team. The discrepancy in the record, 12-5 and five versus 8-9, you'd be like, how can the Cowboys lose this game? They're playing a team they were four games better than. Well, in the modern era, I believe it's six times a division winner had a 500 record or worse and hosted a playoff game versus a team that had a much better record. Six times it's happened, and four of the times the team with the worst record ended up winning. So it's not far-fetched to think that the Bucks could beat the Cowboys even though they finished 8-9 and nine this year. Put it this way. If this is a close game in the fourth quarter, who do you want quarterbacking your team? Tom Brady with the gazillion fourth quarter comebacks this guy has had, including the three that he's had this year, or Dak Prescott, who's been shaky, and you can't dispute that. He has not been good down the stretch, and you worry. But could they turn it on in one game? Absolutely. So that's where it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> And you can hear me say I I don't know a lot because I'm not going to sit here and pound my chest and say I told you so. Even if I lean one way and I kind of sound like I'm hedging, it's not like if one of the things that I said ends up coming true, I'm going to pretend like I didn't say the other thing after the game. And I'm just not going to do that because I think it's stupid because most people that you listen to on the radio, in sports, or on television, they're wrong most of the time. If you actually kept track, most people are wrong on their predictions. So with me, it's more towards this is where I'm leaning. And when I give you an opinion on a game, I'll give you reasons behind why I like it. Like I said, the you know, the Seattle Seahawks can't defend the run and the 
the, the 49ers just pound teams on the ground. So that's not a good recipe for the Seahawks going into that game. But if it were so easy, they just wouldn't play the games and the team with a better record would win. So clearly anything can happen in a game. What if we get into that game? And this is my one concern when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers, who are everybody's darling. Yes, they've won 10 in a row. They're probably the best team in the NFC. But remember, they still have Brock Brock Purdy at quarterback. This guy has six career starts. What if Brock Purdy has an absolute shit game in the playoffs? What if he's off his game? Um, you know, he has a fumble early on. His confidence gets shaken. The team falls behind 10-3 or 13-3. You know, let's see how he reacts. And that's why I can't rank them ahead of Kansas City, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. I just, they have Brock Purdy. They have a better defense than all three of those teams? Absolutely. But you're also dealing with a quarterback who's had six career starts versus Patrick Mahomes, who we all know his ungodly numbers he's put up in his career in the five years that he's been a quarterback. He's going to win another MVP this year. He's been to two Super Bowls already. Josh Allen is a young phenom with a howitzer for an arm. And Joe Burrow made uh, the Super Bowl a year after he blew out his knee. So, um, yeah, I I just can't rank San Francisco that high right now, uh, at higher than those three. Do I think they're the best team in the NFC? Yes, but best team doesn't mean they're going to get to the Super Bowl because, as we know, anybody can beat anybody in the NFL. I did want to talk about my uh, NFL totals bets at the beginning of the season. I had five where you can bet the over-under on, you know, they put out the total wins for every team in the NFL. At the beginning of the season, you can bet the over or the under, and I bet five NFL over-unders this year. They were all wrapped up before Week 18 even happened. I went 3-2. and two. Um, I had the, the winning, the, the two losses I had were, I bet the Jets under six wins and yeah, they won seven, but they lost their last six. So the fact that the Jets even won seven games, I can't believe I didn't win that bet or at least push because while, yeah, they were at seven wins in week 11, they never won again. So I only missed that by one. The one I was way off on was I had the Cowboys under 10 and the reason I did that was because I don't know if you know this, but the Dallas Cowboys had not had back-to-back double-digit winning seasons in 26 years, and they went 12 and five last year. So I was like, they went 12 and five last year, and yet Vegas set their over/under at 10, and I'm like, well, that's fishy. And then I looked deeper into it, and the Cowboys had not won back-to-back 10 win seasons or more since like since in 26 years, early 90s. So. I went with this. I went with the trend, and I lost. They won twelve games for the second year in a row, so I lost that one. Um, I had the over in Philadelphia nine and a half. That was an easy winner. They started out ten and zero, so that was I had won that by week ten. I had the over in um, oh crap, who am I blanking on? Over in Philly. Oh, I had over uh, the Lions six and a half. Yeah, I was swayed by hard knocks, and I was I was all in on Dan Campbell, and I saw six and a half, and yeah, when they started out one and six, boy, did I not think they would get there, and they went over by two and a half games, so that was a big win for me, and then the Steelers, uh, again, I went with another trend that Mike Tomlin has never had a below 500 season as a head coach, and they were, their total was seven and a half, so they could still finish under 500 and finish eight and nine. And I'd win my bet, and I had over on the Steelers, and they went nine and eight. So, 
did good on my NFL totals this year. I think I went five and two. Yeah, I went five and two in my college total uh, for the year. So a good year. Um, eight and four in my totals in college and NFL. I will tell you my Super Bowl bets uh, later on in the week. And yeah, I did not play any of the big favorites because what what's the fun in that? You're looking for a big payday. And uh, if a couple of these middle of the road teams can at least get to the Super Bowl, you know, it gives you an opportunity to possibly uh, hedge. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, let's just end it with this. I'm someone that will always admit when I'm wrong when it comes to sports. Dead wrong on the TCU game. What What's the one thing I told you yesterday? The one thing that I said I'd be surprised if it happened. And that was I'd be surprised if TCU got blown out. Well, <laughs> clearly they did. I mean, I feel bad for them because that's what they're going to be remembered for, 65-7 versus the unbelievable season that they had. And I felt really bad for them. But you watch that game, and now it's almost like, my gosh, if they played Georgia 10 times, it looks like they wouldn't beat them any. They'd go over 10 versus if, you know, they played a game and they lost, I don't know, 34 to 20. You'd be like, okay, it wasn't their day, but if they played them again, they had a chance to beat them. No, it doesn't look like they would ever come close to beating Georgia. Georgia looked like they were on a completely different level than TCU last night. It's a bummer. I hate that it looks that way because now everyone's going to have their opinions about, see, they should have never made it into the college football. No, they should have made it. They had a great season. They deserve to be there. They just weren't as good. Um, Maybe it's a referendum on Michigan. Uh, Michigan lost to TCU, and TCU just lost to Georgia by 58 points. Ah, Man, I mean, talk about an absolute rout. That game got ugly from the get-go, and when Georgia scored on their first four possessions, you were like, okay, it doesn't look like TCU can do anything defensively to stop these guys. The only way they win this game is if Georgia starts turning the ball over. And not only that, when TCU gets the ball after a turnover, they have to turn that into touchdowns, and they basically have to outscore them like they did Michigan. That's the only chance they had to win. Um, Nick Saban had some excellent analysis before the game. He basically said the same thing. like TCU has to put up 40 or else they're not winning. And <laughs> in this case, it looks like they had to put up 66 uh, to win. But, yeah, unfortunate. Not a great game. I love sports, and I watch sports for memorable games, you know, things you want to remember by. And if TCU would have won that game, it would have been, as I said yesterday, one of the more improbable champions we ever had in any sport. Um, it just, you know, 500 to one before the season to win the national championship. That just doesn't happen. And the fact that they were even in position – is a credit to them, a credit to their coaching staff, and credit to that organization but in that program. But, man, they got their ass handed to them, and it wasn't pretty from the get-go, and there was nothing about it that makes me think they could ever hang with Georgia, at least this season. If these two teams played again next week and played every Monday for the next 10 weeks, Georgia's not going to win every game 65-7, but TCU would never beat them. Ever. It just wouldn't happen. You saw it last night. So, unfortunate. Congratulations to Georgia. They are the new standard in college football. What Kirby Smart has built there, incredible. Absolutely incredible. All the major props to him and that program. They're the new Alabama. I mean, when everyone talks about Bama this and Bama that. Now you have to say Georgia because Georgia did something only three other schools have done since the early 90s, and that's when back-to-back national championships. Um, Florida did it. 
Alabama did it, and one other team did it that I'm forgetting about. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. Because it's a new podcast, it definitely helps to get some ratings. I hope you give it a five-star. hope you give it a nice review. And we're just going to keep this going and have a lot of fun with it. So thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.